This time I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the letter of James, James chapter 1. I'll be reading verse 1 to verse 18. began a sermon series on this letter last week, and we looked at verses 1 through 4. This morning we will focus our attention on verses 5 to 8. We'll be reading 1 through 18. We're using a pew Bible. That can be found on page 1,199. Let us now hear God's word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let us now ask the Lord in time of prayer. Oh, Father, we ask your blessing and your wisdom as we turn to the preaching of God's word and you speak to us words of life from the scriptures. Oh, Father, may we be granted your spirit's illumination to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our hearts and to receive what the Spirit of God is teaching the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh Lord, we seek, we knock. Grant us wisdom, we pray, and help us to leave this place in the joy of your salvation and in the wisdom of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Congregation of Christ, in every trial and adversity, there's an occasion for joy. 
We heard about that last week. There's an occasion for joy in every trial and adversity. In fact, we are to count it all joy when you meet or fall into trials of various kinds. We count it all joy because God is in control and uses trials and adversities for our sanctification and salvation. To draw us closer to Him, remember adversities are our teacher, our theologian. The world, the flesh, and the devil seek our destruction in these things. In these trials, they seek to devour us. But God tests what's genuine. And He removes or purifies our souls from the impurities. Remember, the testing of your faith is that trial, that purification, that refiner's fire that Christians go through to remove the impurities of the soul. God tests us, and yet He is not charged with sin. God disciplines us in love. He disciplines His children as a father disciplines his child because our Father in Heaven loves us. He loves us. And He disciplines us to strengthen us, strengthen our faith in Him and to conform us to Christ, His Son, our Savior. To conform us in true righteousness and holiness. How do you grow strength spiritually? How do you grow Strength in faith, it is through trials. And we heard of examples of that last week. And we don't know why one person endures heavier trials or adversities than another person. There's a great mystery here. God chooses to place certain trials and adversity in one person's life and not in another person's life. But each person has his own trials and adversities, do we not? Some at a different measure or degree than others. This is beyond us human beings. However, the scriptures also teach, and we see a lot of similarities in James and 1 Peter and 2 Peter as it relates to suffering, the suffering of the Christian. And Peter will go on to say that there are times when Christians suffer as a result of sin. So we need to be careful. Be careful when we go through adversities or you see other people going through trials and adversities. But we know this, that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness or otherwise we can translate that patient endurance or perseverance. Verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The goal of endurance and steadfastness is that a man would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is a Jewish way of saying that he will be a man who walks in wisdom of the Word and will of God. A man who is mature in faith. A man who is mature in faith. But James sets forth to us an ideal man or woman of God. Mature and wise in any and all trials. But perhaps you're like me when I read something like this. 
or perhaps the original audience when they read James say uh, at verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Maybe you're like me and saying, well, I lack a lot. (laughs) I'm just not there. Yeah, verse 5. Look with me in your Bible. James connects in verse 4 and verse 5 the same verb, lacking. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you're saying, well, that's not me, I'm not complete and perfect, I'm not the mature man of God as I ought to be or am called to be, I'm not that ideal Christian. Well, thankfully, James wrote verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. On the one hand, James says that the perfect and complete man or woman of God lacks nothing. He is the ideal Christian. But on the other hand, he knows that we lack we lack wisdom. And so this is really a comforting verse for us. A promising verse. A hopeful verse. Especially as it relates to living in trials and adversities. Many interpreters have trouble seeing the connection between verses 2 to 4 and verses 5 to 8. There seems to be a disjunction there. How did he go from trials and adversities to wisdom? Well, in your trials and in your adversities, what you need most is wisdom. What you and I need most in trials and adversity is wisdom. I said last week that suffering is our greatest theologian and it's our teacher. We learn to lean on the true wisdom of God. We learn to lean on Jesus, who is the wisdom from God, because He is, in our, he is our all in all. And when we are placed on our back, we are forced to look up to Jesus. Is He your all in all? Is He all you need? Yes, we need the fellowship of the saints. Yes, we need community, communion of the saints. And that is such a blessing to the church of God. It's such a blessing to have fellowship with God's people. But when that is stripped away from you, if that would ever be stripped away from you, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus, who is the true wisdom of God, enough for you so that you you and I can joyfully endure trials? If you're taking notes and you want to write down some definitions of wisdom, here's a couple. Wisdom is the knowledge and understanding of how to apply, how to apply or practice God's word and God's will for your life. How to apply what you know concerning the Bible. Or, simply stated, it's the application of the knowledge of God's will. It's not knowing stuff. 
James will go on to say, even the demons believe, and what happens to them? They shudder. They know their destiny. They know the Bible better than you and I know the Bible. Not, wisdom is knowledge applied. The knowledge of God's word applied. And this is confirmed by James later on. Look with me at chapter, thir- uh, chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show by his works in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and demonic. That is, in verse 14, the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom is knowledge applied, living in the light of God's word and will for your life. And it's not... It's not determined by one's age. It's not determined by one's vocation. Children, you can be wise. It's not determined by one's vocation. The nuclear scientist or the plumber or janitor. It's not determined by intellectual abilities. Even the one who has only a third or fourth or fifth grade education can be wise. More wise than a doc, one with a doctorate and has all the knowledge in the world. One who is intellectually inferior, inferior to another can have far more wisdom than an intellectual giant. And in the trials and adversities of life, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God. Pray for it. Pray for it. Because God is generous. Let's look at the generosity of God. Do you lack wisdom? Ask God. There's a striking similarity between the teachings of James and Jesus. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, says, ask, seek, and knock. You do not have because you do not ask. Because God gives generously. He gives wisdom to those who ask him. Here, generous has a meaning of undividedly. To give undividedly. Or to give with single intent. It is God's intent to answer the prayer of his people when they ask for wisdom as defined by the Bible. If you are in a trial and you are tempted and tried and going through the furnace, the fiery furnace, 
Does that draw you away from God? And does that draw you away from a prayer life? Or does that draw you nearer to God, nearer to God in prayer? It is through the fiery furnace that we draw nearer to God and asking for wisdom. And God bestows wisdom with single intent because it's His will for our lives to walk in the wisdom of His Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, the Bible says we are exhorted to pray always. When we fall into adversities and trials, we pray and ask for wisdom and He gives abundantly. He is ready to answer. But how slow we are to pray. Do some of you think that He's not hearing you or He doesn't... Your concern or your adversity or your trial is not big enough for Him or maybe too big for Him? God is generous. When you pray... He hears. He hears the prayers of His people when they are offered in the name of Jesus. Are we a people of prayer? Are you a person of prayer in your adversities and trials? Did you read a book on prayer? This is helpful, but how about you pray? Should we read a book on the Puritans on prayer? This is helpful, but how about you pray? How about going to a prayer conference? These may be helpful, but how about you pray? How about we pray? Asking God for wisdom. James says, you lack wisdom, ask God, because it's his will for your life to sanctify you in your fiery trials. It's his will for your life to walk in faith, to walk in Christ. And wisdom is indispensable to persevering through these trials of life. Wisdom teaches us the godly response in our trials, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, without reproach, and it will be given him. God doesn't despise or revile his children. That's what without reproach means. He doesn't cast blame on you when you come to him in prayer. He doesn't shoo you away as a child runs to his daddy and is pleased for his daddy for his summons and his daddy with his leg shoes him off. No, get away from me. I have no time for you. Get away from me. Go. I dare to say that some of us maybe think that about our God and Father. God doesn't have time for me. Why pray? Why ask for wisdom? I keep falling into the same thing over and over again. And in doing that, we forget God. <laughs> we forget Him. Ask and it will be given to you. Ask for wisdom and it will be given to you. God 
does not cast blame or revile his child who asks. He doesn't, this word also has the idea without reproach of showing one's teeth. And it has the imagery. There's a lot of Jewish imagery going on here. And, and this is one of them, to show one's teeth. As a dog shows its teeth against its prey to devour. To intimidate. That's not your father in heaven. He doesn't show his teeth at you when you come to him. And so we pray, Lord, in my adversity and great sorrow and weakness, help me to walk in the light of Christ. Help me to walk in your word and your ways. Help me to testify of your glory and grace in Christ. Help me to give you glory and honor and praise. Help. God is generous. But notice at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The precondition of answered prayer is faith. Faith. Jesus says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. God hears our prayers being offered in the name of Christ. Faith in Christ. For James, it seems that he refers to faith in terms of one's confidence in the Lord's promise when he or she prays. Faith doesn't shrink back from God's promise. God's word, God's will, but embraces God's promise. And so in the trial and adversities of life, we pray clinging to his promise in faith, in confidence, in trust that he calls us to pray for wisdom knowing that he will answer in his time. In his time, friends, I'll say it again, in his time. In his time. Don't treat God like a a genie or a lucky rabbit's foot, whatever those are. Ask, seek, and knock. Persistence. Persistent faith that persistently praise for wisdom in your adversity, in your context. When you are tempted to sin due to the context in which you are in, Lord, grant me wisdom. Grant me wisdom as I pray in faith that you will provide for me. Wisdom is available to every child of God and it's for the taking. God promised to give generously to all who ask in faith and so believe pray and believe that God will grant you wisdom to pursue a godly and righteous life during trials and adversities this is an entirely appropriate prayer because this is God's will for your life your sanctification if you're taking notes 
First Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 and following. Verse 1 and following. This is God's will for your life, your sanctification. To be conformed to Christ, to walk in Christ, to live for Christ. God doesn't promise health, wealth, and prosperity physically. But He does promise in His Word to grant wisdom to conduct oneself in such a way during those adversities of life. To glorify Him. To lift high the name of Christ. To be Christ. To speak Christ. I'm always amazed. Always amazed at God's grace in the life of a Christian who's in the hospital. A Christian who is suffering from great trials of various kinds. Sickness. The loss of a loved one. Whatever it is, I'm always astonished at the way in which God has given them a faith to not only confess His name, but to glorify God in it, in the trial. And not only that, but to testify to others. Going to Christians in hospital rooms and how Christians testify to the nurses and doctors of God's grace. with joy in their hearts, that great paradox of the Christian faith where we can experience and know joy and know sorrow at the same time. The paradox that only the Christian can know. Preconditions of answered prayer is faith, confidence in God's word and promise. Pray for wisdom. Listen to what Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18. He says this, he gives the Ephesians this charge. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is a debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. God's will is that we walk in the light of God's word. We walk as wise, not fools. This is the Lord's will. To walk in faith, believing when we ask God for wisdom. But beware of doubts. Let's look in your Bible again, verse 7. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. With no doubting. The folly of doubt in the doubter in verses 
6, 7, and 8. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The word here is tra- for, translated for doubt also means to judge thoroughly through investigation. To distinguish or to dispute with others. In fact, the same word is used in chapter 2. If you look in chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. The sin of partiality. My brother, show no partialities as you should hold, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That word distinctions is the same word for doubt. And that's why he says he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. There's a conflict in the person's soul. And James, in chapter 1, likens the doubt of a Christian to tumultuous waves of the sea. And in Jewish thought, the sea was a place of chaos. Every wave with different textures and and different shapes and sizes were being tossed about as the wind changes directions and speed. That's what this person is like. This is the folly of doubt and the doubter. He is unable to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, because his mind, his soul, has not been trained by wisdom. Trials produces either strength of faith in the Lord's goodness and grace, or they produce doubt, even more doubt in his promises. And that is what doubt is. Doubt is disbelief in God's promise and will for your life. Doubt is disbelief. Disbelief in God and His promises. The folly of the doubter is the one who doubts and doesn't Receive wisdom because he lacks faith. He lacks confidence in God's word. And he must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Pretty straightforward there. I can't tell that for you. Only that's between you and the Lord. And your prayer life. Are you asking, seeking, knocking? I only ask the question. I'm only asking the question. I can't read into your mind and heart. No man can do that. But God knows your hearts. Do you ask in faith or do you ask in doubts? Last week I used the illustration of an embroidery. One side is the beautiful results after it's all done, a beautiful picture, artwork, 
On the other side, what do you see? You see thread everywhere. You don't see a good picture. But when you turn it over, you see the beauty of the picture. And I also stated last time that we oftentimes look at our trials and adversities looking at the wrong side of the embroidery. Looking at the wrong side and failing to see what God is doing in our lives for our good and for His glory. And that's what the folly of the doubter offers and prays when he prays in doubt. He's looking at the wrong side of the embroidery. He's seeing the chaos. He's seeing the disorder. He's not seeing what God is doing. He's not praying in faith, in confidence. Furthermore, James shows the condition of the doubter. It's exposed. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Double-minded means that he has two souls or two selves. He's spiritually schizophrenic and unstable or unsettled in all his ways. Whenever trials come, he gets battered down and he's down and out. Succumbing to the trials and eventually succumbing to temptations that come his way because he has not asked for wisdom and faith. His life lacks restraint and easily wavers in times of trials and adversities. Congregation, trials are a reality in life. I don't have to say that to you. You know that. They teach us our need for wisdom. They teach you and me our need for wisdom. They expose either our folly or our faith in Christ and the wisdom from God. But as I read this passage and study this passage, I ask the question, and I think it begs the question, do we ask in faith perfectly? In other words, isn't my asking in faith sprinkled with doubt. Isn't my prayer sprinkled with a little doubt? Because after all, I do suffer from much weakness. And I don't pray as I ought. I live in the weakness of flesh. I still sin. When we pray in faith, when we pray in faith, isn't that a prayer that acknowledges, though, weakness? Isn't it a prayer in faith, a prayer to God acknowledging that He is God and you are not, that you are weak and He is strong, that Christ is Lord and I am not, that I need Him? Yeah, our, our prayers are sprinkled with doubt, but it, our prayers in faith are acknowledgement that we have doubts, and we pray to the Lord, Lord, remove my doubts. Plead for His mercy and wisdom to endure trials and to glorify His name. We pray, 
like the father of the son who had an unclean spirit. Do you remember that? Mark chapter 9. Lord, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Isn't that a prayer of faith? He asked for healing for his son, and Jesus came in the power of the kingdom, bringing his healing mercies with him, and he healed the boy. But that episode in Scripture, that narrative, that part of Mark chapter 9 has a lot to do with the Father as well as the Son's healing. It had almost more to do with the Father who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Prayer expresses our doubts and fears for help and the power to expel all doubts and to walk in wisdom, to walk in Christ. If you are going through trials and adversities right now, ask yourself this question. How's your prayer life? How do you view your Father in heaven? Who is he to you? What is he asking of you in this text of scripture on how to pray? Do you lack wisdom? Ask God. Let me ask you another question. Do you want wisdom? Do you even care? Do you even care? Do I even care? Your answer to these questions will determine much in how you live your life for Jesus, especially in adversities. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for faith in Christ. We thank you, O oh Lord, that by your spirit and word you have given us a wholehearted trust in your goodness and grace in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, oftentimes we pray, doubting, forgive us, O oh Lord. Forgive us, we pray, for our doubts and help us to lean on your truth and promise, to lean on in faith, that is to lean on in confidence in your word and promise to us. You ask, or you call us to ask for wisdom. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you indeed would pour out your wisdom upon your people, especially in this tumultuous age where good is called evil and evil is called good, where we see folly and foolishness everywhere. Oh, Lord, help us to live as light in this world, as salt of the world. Help us to live in the light of Christ and for his glory. Grant us the wisdom of your word. Help us to apply what we know and understand from the Bible. Father, we pray for both young and old. 
that you would sanctify us, draw us near to you, and teach us what it means to walk wisely in this evil age, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and its suffering and shame. We pray this in his name.